Conversion therapy laws are proposed for the state of Tasmania. G'day, I'm Mark Niles and this is The Truth of It, and it is indeed Tasmania's turn for this controversial conversion therapy issue, with the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute releasing a report uh, that recommends a whole host of legal changes, and the state premier, who is Jeremy Rockcliffe, recently appointed, has said that he is going to advance this issue. Oh dear, the devil is indeed in the detail. But before I get into the weeds on what is proposed, let me get something straight. Well, first of all, I said Tasmania, don't tune out if you're not Tasmania, because in case you haven't realised this thing is advancing around the country. It's been to Victoria, it's been to the Australian Capital Territory, it's running into Tasmania. It seems to be getting worse as it goes, not better. So it's relevant to people in all states where similar uh, projects are on foot, and that would especially include New South Wales, Western Australia. But let me get something else straight before I even get into this issue of conversion therapy. I just want to point out something. The phrase conversion therapy is a nonsense, okay? It's made up by people who have no understanding of the concepts at play. Conversion, to be straight, is an act of <laughs> conversion to be straight. What a terrible choice of words in light of the topic. Conversion, to be clear, is an act of God. It is a spiritual transformation. Therapy is an act of man. It is a treatment applied from one person towards another person, okay? God does not require acts of people to convert somebody, all right? Uh, God does that. It's his work. The phrase does not marry together, okay? It's linking two concepts that are not intrinsically connected. I raise that up front because this confusion and this obfuscation, or maybe it's a bit of both, runs right through the entire way that this issue is dealt with. And you find yourself in this weird position where you're reading a report that's talking all about, on the one hand, really insane stuff like coercion and violence and aversion therapies and all this kind of stuff. It's sick. It's kooky. And everyone scratches their head and they wonder where on earth this is even happening in a state like Tasmania. It sounds like something from the dark ages. And indeed, we're going to find out there's precious little evidence of any of that. Um, but then in the very next breath, in the same report, in the same sentence at times, you have things like the simple belief that gender identity and sexual orientation ought to conform to a particular archetype, i.e. a Christian view. And these things are treated as if they're all the same as if they're found together, as if the person who believes the archetype is somehow implicated in the physical abuse of gay people. Um, it's just actually beyond outrageous. In fact, it is a giant dog whistle against people and institutions of religious faith, which are consistently singled out to implicate them in a mindset and in behaviours which are foreign to them, which they simply do not share, and which are a million miles away from anything they have ever conceived of or thought of. And the result is that you get a report that recommends that all of this feral stuff, uh, this kooky stuff, is outlawed. And that is fine. But at the same time, you get a report that in that same bundle of things that are outlawed puts ordinary parents who are a million miles from all of that stuff they're suddenly implicated in simply trying to adopt, say, a wait-and-see approach for their child who might be gender dysphoric. Or indeed, the two people or three people or four people who might want to talk to each other and do some kind of talk therapy, as they call it, some kind of discussion group about sexual orientation issues. And you get all these people implicated, along with pastors of, say, 200 people who want to uh, uh, observe their faith and health practitioners and more besides, all of this is lumped together as if it's kind of the same thing. 
The report is, it's a kind of vilification in my view. It incites contempt and hatred towards faith communities on completely baseless grounds, because as we shall see, there's no evidence, according to the Law Reform Institute itself, that these things are happening in any meaningful degree in the state of Tasmania. Anyway, with that preamble out of the way, let's go through the details of what is being recommended by the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute. And they start in their report by, with a discussion of what they call conversion practices. And they say, this is where we're going to find what we need to ban. Uh, this is how they describe conversion practices. They say, conversion practices involve a course of conduct that aims to change, suppress, or eradicate the sexual orientation or gender identity of another person. So, uh, notice, well, they're very clear. I mean, look, that threshold's very low. Aim to change, suppress. I mean suppress. Well, they're very clear that suppress could include, for example, convincing a person not to act on their feelings. So remaining celibate, for example. Apparently that's suppression, that's a conversion practices, it falls in that bucket of things. They're also very clear that when they talk about this, they're not talking about conduct that promotes non-aligned sexual orientation or non-aligned gender identity, that is not aligned with their biological sex. Um, it only is talking about uh, prohibiting conduct that promotes a heteronormative view. Okay, so it's completely one-sided, ideological. It also goes on to say, well, it doesn't matter if uh, these conversion practices, as they call them, are done with a person's consent or by their request. Uh, you know, if they say, well, how should I live if I have this feeling? And you say, well, don't act on it. Oh, okay, that's a conversion practice under this little definition here. And it doesn't matter if they ask the question, uh, it's no defense. Uh, also, um, it, uh, it includes non-coercive means. Well, that's pretty obvious, but they mention things like persuading someone or inducing someone. And you can think, well, if this is God's will, that's kind of an inducement. It's offering some good thing. God will be pleased. Uh, you know, it's, it's a good thing for you. Uh, or it says here, it could be by convincing a person or a group what group would that be? Where would you find a group that might be interested in these topics? Not a church, surely. Uh, to uncritically accept a set of beliefs about themselves or others. So it's very broad what they're talking about. And when they talk there in that little description about uh, suppressing, eradicating or changing sexual orientation or gender identity, you might say, well, what do they mean by sexual orientation? And you have to ask these days. Well, they say it includes, but is not limited to homosexuality, heterosexuality and bisexuality. Is not limited to... I, there's apparently other sexualities out there which they haven't named, which could be included. Gender identity. Um, again, what does that mean? To uh, change, suppress or eradicate gender identity. Well, they say this refers to any gender-related characteristics of an individual, i.e. any physical expression, mannerisms, appearance, speech, names, etc. claim to manifest gender identity. And they explicitly refer here to the fact that it also includes this concept of gender expression which is a concept that nobody actually knows the exact exact scope and nature of because it's always evolving and changing. There are new gender identities, there are new gender expressions being added all the time. So in other words, you can't actually know from one moment to the next what the limits of gender identity really are. Um, well, there, we've defined gender identity, we've defined sexual orientation, we think. Um, also, we've defined uh, this conversion practice as the sorts of things they're thinking of. But what is a course of conduct? Conversion practices involve a course of conduct that aims to change, suppress, eradicate, etc. Well, they say you have a course of conduct when three things are present. Three things. And note this. Firstly, a belief that human sexual orientation or gender identity is fixed to an archetype. Second, a belief that sexual orientation or gender identity can be consciously changed, suppressed or eradicated. Third, the belief that certain sexual orientations or gender identities should 
be changed, suppressed, or eradicated. So the idea that it should be fixed to an archetype, that it can be consciously changed, that it should be consciously contained, boom, there's your course of conduct. Well, fixed to an archetype, what would they mean by that? The first thing. Well, Jesus had an archetype, did he not? He said, have you not heard from the beginning? God made them male and female. And therefore, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. Oh, that sounds like an archetype. Uh, the archetype that they don't like. Um, and they say that, you know, this often creates the view that uh, departure from that archetype is, quote, abnormal, broken, diseased, disordered or deficient in a medical, moral or spiritual sense. And note here this dog whistle where they wind in the extreme with the mainstream where they say, for example, on the one hand, they link morally deficient. You find uh, scripture would have a, a moral issue with, say, homosexual conduct, but they link that with medically diseased, as if these people also think that a gay person is medically diseased. You see the mixing of all of this, this dog whistle, this, as I said, this kind of vilification. Well, that's what they mean by being fixed to an archetype. And the idea that it can be consciously changed, suppressed, or eradicated. Well, uh, can it be suppressed? Well, of course it can. Uh, <laughs> I mean, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a, a, a single Christian straight male, I'm supposed to consciously suppress my own sexual orientation in the way that they're thinking about it, am I not? Um, is that not ordinary to say that a person has control of themselves? Apparently not. They explicitly note that such messaging tends to be associated with religious entities. Uh, and thirdly, the idea that certain sexual orientations, gender identity should be changed or suppressed. And note this, they say, well, actually, this idea that the change should happen could be directed at the person or it could be directed at the community around them, thus generating a kind of pressure on this person. God, where would you find a community of people that are interested in living out this archetype? Oh, it wouldn't be a church, would it? Anyway. That's what they mean by course of conduct, where these elements are present. Straight away, you can see the issues that are arising, right? Um, they say that these beliefs uh, are, quote, discredited and known to generate risks, unquote. They characterize them as false ideology, uh, and they give a number of specific examples of this false ideology. They don't just refer to it in that general sense, but they give some examples. They say, well, the, for example, the idea that humans are born with potential, the potential of developing into heterosexual people whose gender identity reflects their sex assigned at birth. Apparently, that's false ideology. Uh, or LGBTQA plus people should live celibate lives. Apparently, that's false ideology. Uh, of course, this gender dysphoria, gender bending, you know, affirmation of gender dysphoria stuff is not ideology at all. It's, uh, uh, it's only the other side that's ideology. Uh, through consistent long-term acts of devotion, mentoring, abstinence, group counselling, etc., a person will either experience a change in their sexual orientation and or gender identity or overcome the causes or drivers behind their same-sex attraction or trans identity and remain celibate. Uh, false ideology. LGBTQA plus people may not be suited to positions of authority within their faith community. So now they're into church governance. False ideology. Um, and again, they jump back and forth between this stuff that's kind of off kilter where any person of faith would go, mm -hmm, that's not right. Uh, and then they jump back to stuff that's on kilter. And it's all this big mishmash of extreme and mainstream. Um, very well. That's the scope of what they're thinking about when they talk about these conversion practices, which they're wanting to delve into and find ways to ban and find limits to place upon them. And they have come up with two specific things that they would like to ban, which effectively reach into all of those areas. The first thing is direct conversion practices. The second is indirect 
conversion practices. Both of these they recommend should be banned through various civil laws, uh, through anti-discrimination laws, and through criminal code, etc. Direct practices are health practitioners offering treatment, quote, not supported by clinical evidence, unquote. We shall find that that means health practitioners do anything, doing anything other than affirming uh, uh, non-conforming sexual orientations or gender identities. That's what they mean. Literally, they say so. Uh, also, though, not just health practitioners, but unqualified people, so people who are not health practitioners, making what they call pseudoscientific representations and undertaking pseudo-medical conduct outside of a clinical setting. So they include here not only counselling and therapies, but also faith-based support, spiritual guidance, and other religious development activities. Um, includes group counselling or talk therapies or support. Those are direct practices. Medical practitioners and those who are not medical practitioners doing those things. Indirect practices, much more woolly. Indirect practices, they say, involve, and this goes into some of the real weeds of what we're talking about in that earlier discussion, they say it, quote, involves disinformation designed to convince others that certain sexual orientations and gender identities are faulty, dysfunctional, and can and should be changed, suppressed, or eradicated. See, I don't, those words are foreign to me uh, and not the way you talk about this stuff, but you can see how it can all be abused. Um, this includes both speech, speech and publications. Uh, including publications that promote the beliefs that we described earlier, that uh, there's an archetype, that you should conform to the archetype, that you can conform to the archetype. Oh, uh, that's all included here. It includes actions aimed at uh, LGBTQA plus people, um, that they can and should suppress or change their attributes, or a community around them, which in turn generates pressure on them to undergo direct conversion practices. So there's indirect and direct, and as you can see, the scope is wide. The indirect runs into disinformation areas. The direct goes to actions by medical professionals and unqualified people who may be offering some kind of counselling or whatever, even if it's unstructured and, you know, in the course of pastoral care and things like that. Okay, that's what they're looking at in the general. Let me spend a few minutes quickly running through the specific recommendations that the report puts together on the last couple of pages. These are the recommendations that will go to the Tasmanian government, okay? Uh, and there's a few of them. And they say, first of all, the Tasmanian government should reform Tasmanian law to address the harms of sexual orientation, gender identity conversion practices. Um, note this is different to what they've done in other states. In other states, they have created a separate piece of legislation. Here, they want to amend existing legislation to build all of this stuff into existing laws. The laws they have in mind are the health laws, the anti-discrimination laws, civil liability laws, and the criminal code. And that brings in Tasmania Police, the Anti-Discrimination Commissioner, the Chief Civil Psychiatrist and the Health Complaints Commissioner, all into the enforcement framework. They make several recommendations prohibiting those direct practices we talked about. First of all, in the Mental Health Act, there should be an express provision that a person must not purport to or actually undertake an assessment or treatment of another person's sexual orientation. Also, third recommendation, the Mental Health Act should clarify that gender identity and gender expression are not mental illnesses. Um, and they go on to, uh, they go on to say, um, in the, under this recommendation, they make some clarifications. And they say, well, they, they are affirming of the fact that gender dysphoria ought to be renamed to gender incongruence, and its classification under sexual, should be under sexual health, not under mental health. So they're saying that the Mental Health Act should say this has nothing to do with mental health. 
Uh, they support the right of people aged under 18 who are quote-unquote gillic competent to make decisions about how they express their sex characteristics without having to be assessed as having a mental illness or behavioural disorder. Ah, well, you see, if this is not in the realm of the mind, gender dysphoria, for example, then, of course, there's no treatment that would apply to the mind. It's only treatment that applies to the body. Oh, we know where that goes, right? It's pretty, pretty shocking stuff. Fourth uh, recommendation, Tasmanian law should require that the assessment and treatment of gender dysphoria or incongruence comply with appropriate professional standards. All that means is they say, well, that it can only comply with the standard of affirming non-conforming sexual orientation and gender identities. They say the Australian standards for the care of trans and gender diverse people in Australia requires a gender affirming approach. And they quote, uh, Tasmanian Law Reform Institute, quote, accepts that the gender affirming model is evidence based and designed to ensure the best standards of care. Uh, in other words, there will be no dissent to the medical ranks for this treatment protocol that we came up with three seconds ago, which goes against all of recorded history, uh, and of which there are still some very uh, thoughtful dissenters who do not agree with what is with the approach being taken. Um, fifth recommendation, Tasmanian health law should be amended to stipulate that a person must not purport to or undertake any assessment or treatment of another person in relation to their sexual orientation or gender identity. Uh, exception, assisting a person to gender transition or assisting a person to explore non-conforming sexual orientations or gender identities, that is allowed. And on the positive side, an exception uh, for conduct which involves no more than the expression of an opinion, idea or belief. So they do say that should not be made illegal, that mere expression. Uh, but you notice that um, actually it's kind of a bit out of kilter with some of the other things they've said, but also exhortation goes further than mere expression, all right? If you exhort someone to a standard or if you uh, uh, preach a standard in a compelling way, uh, well, that's not just a mere statement or expression of an idea, it's something more. They also say that a practitioner may conscientiously object to the clinical guidelines relating to sexual orientation, gender identity. However, they can't treat the patient at all if they conscientiously object to these standards. And get this, they must refer that patient to someone who does not conscientiously object and they will be added to a register of conscientious objectors. So their wrong thing will be recorded. Isn't that shocking? Boy, oh boy, I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of a medical practitioner in the future if they are on that list. Um, there are recommendations for handling of complaints about these direct practices. Uh, and the summary is that all of these institutions get to talk to each other, the anti-discrimination, the police, etc. Uh, and there is a requ no requirement for a complaint to be made. They can initiate investigations and make orders. Um, and uh, there's also a, a weird addition in there that um, uh, basically says that any medical treatment which quote-unquote discriminates on sexual orientation, gender identity grounds, in other words, disagrees with the view that they have, could be a problem under discrimination law. That's all the direct practices stuff. Indirect practices, couple of recommendations here. They say that Section 19 of the Anti-Discrimination Act should be amended to clarify that a public act promoting conversion practices, which could be disinformation, remember, uh, to in, uh, amounts to incitement of hatred towards serious contempt for or severe ridicule of another person or group of persons. Um, in other words, uh, this is a, a hate, an act of hate uh, that goes under the anti-discrimination law. 
Seventh recommendation, anti-discrimination commissioners should be empowered to cooperate and coordinate with other bodies, as we mentioned. They need to talk to each other. And also there's a point here, recommendation eight, that just says that the limitation period under the, uh, under the Anti-Discrimination Act needs to be removed for these complaints. Usually you have 12 months to make a complaint after conduct is done. Uh, after that, too bad. And there's always a statute of limitations to give legal certainty to any circumstance. They say, oh, no, no, no. In this case, um, this harm could manifest more than 12 months after the event. So this limitation should not apply to these complaints. Uh, there are some recommendations regarding civil liability and child abuse. Uh, recommendation 9. Civil liability law should contain a new provision clearly setting out the elements of sexual orientation, gender identity, conversion practices under tort law to say that they are a civil wrong uh, and also uh, to state that the defence... By the way, you know, when there's a civil wrong, there's standards of proof that have to... or there's standards uh, that have to be worked through legally and one of the things has to be that the person who did the wrong thing has to have reasonably foreseen that it would cause harm, they do away with that. They just reach into law, which has been around for hundreds of years, uh, and say, ah, yeah, but that whole reasonable foreseeability thing, the person's going to be taken to have foreseen the harm. We don't have to ask that question legally. So it makes it a lot easier for them to be convicted under this uh, civil liability uh, uh, wrong that is being put in the Civil Liability Act, the civil wrong. Uh, recommendation 10, the Civil Liability Act should be amended to include sexual orientation, gender identity, conversion practices within institutional child abuse provisions. The Civil Liability Act should be amended to include sexual orientation, gender identity, conversion practices as a form of child abuse for which organisations responsible for the care of a child are vicariously liable. So it's clear when they talk about organisations, they're talking about churches. So this is child abuse by the organisation, or there is also a statement in here that uh, a SOGI conversion practice on a child is child abuse. Um, does not require the institutional element. Then there are some provisions about criminal liability, where a person is caused serious physical or mental harm. And there are some provisions that are also recommended, recommended in relation to minors, in relation to children. And there's also the final recommendation, which is all about, well, you should also give money to LGBTQA plus organisations, which they always throw in. Um, and here's the crazy thing, right? I, I have to sit here and kind of say this is all wrong and bad, and yet it's all couched in this medicalised language. So it makes me look like a freak. But that's not the way anyone in the Christian world thinks about these issues. But what they're doing is they're using the medicalized language. They're using all of this therapeutic stuff, which is completely foreign to people, which speaks of extremity and abuse and coercion and madness and, and demented views of the world and humanity. But smuggled all within that is this mainstream stuff, this harmless stuff. Uh, and it's all wrapped up together in the same box. And it's all prohibited. And of course, if you come along and say, look, I don't think that package is sensible. I think you've included stuff there that's not the same. You look like the freak, the bigot and the extremist. It's so difficult, right? You see what they've done. Uh, it's, it's almost either it's through supreme ignorance or it's quite deliberate um, to, uh, to advance an agenda or it's a little bit of both, probably. Uh, and all of this despite, and I quote, this is from the report, quote, no data about the nature and prevalence of sexual orientation and gender identity conversion practices in Tasmania exists, unquote. Another quote, quote, no scientific study has been published on the prevalence of sexual orientation and gender identity conversion practices in Tasmania or Australia, unquote. So what are they trying to ban? Are they trying to ban psychos running boot camps that beat up gay people? that don't exist? Or are they interested really in parents like Robert Hoogland who just want their daughter to wait until she's an adult before she has her breasts cut off? 
but he landed in a Canadian jail for his efforts. Are they interested in abusers who coerce people into aversion therapies and leave them traumatised? Because that ain't happening. Or are they interested in the quote-unquote community, or whichever one that might be, that thinks they should live up to the standards of their creator and of Jesus who died for them by living in conformity to his will, indeed his archetype for their sexuality and gender identity, amongst other things. Apparently, these beliefs are all the same. Apparently, one belief leads to the other. Apparently, they all need to be banned. And that includes you, parent of a child, and you, pastor of 200 people who want guidance, and you, whoever you are, bigot, who might think in a way that is non-conforming to their non-conforming ideas, if that makes sense. Hey, look, you know, let me maybe just finish with this comment. Let's clarify some things. I might as well say it since I still can. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 to 11, it says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Are you in that list? Because I am. And that's why I rejoice that conversion is real. Absolutely no therapy needed. That's not what this is about. It's not about therapy. That's about an act of God. I don't know what this medicalized stuff honestly is all about. The burden and stain of every sin can be dealt with decisively by the righteousness and the liberty of Jesus Christ. The prescription is not therapy. It is repentance and it is faith in him. And that will always be the greatest news in the world. And it will always be converting lives and it will do that regardless of laws like this. Because like I said, it's not therapy, it's an act of God. And I just have a hunch that, you know what, God doesn't keep laws like this. He marches on and does what he does in people's lives. No matter the contorted ways in which the Tasmanian Law Reform Institute might try and capture it, wrap it up into some messed up, medicalized document that seeks to ban it all, including the good stuff. I'm Martin Niles, and that was the truth of it.